0: Hey, friends, welcome back to the Religionless Podcast. This is episode number two. I'm your host, Jeff Turner. Today, we're going to be having a conversation with Phil Drysdale, who's the host of the aptly named Phil Drysdale Show podcast, as well as the head of the Deconstruction Network. I know many of you know Phil, you know of his work, and I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation as well. I do want to remind you before we get into today's episode to if you're listening on iTunes, be sure to subscribe and also be sure to leave us a review, preferably one involving five stars. Really helps us and helps to get our work noticed. And also, if you wish to support the work that we're doing financially, you can do so via Patreon at patreon.com forward slash religionless. That really goes a long way to keep us doing what we're doing. So, without further ado, here's today's conversation with the one and only Phil Drysdale. Thanks for having me. For those of you who don't know, Phil Drysdale is the Joe Rogan of the deconstruction
1: uh, type of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I take loads if, of DMT and uh, yes, uh, he does. Do loads yep. of jujitsu, right? Yep. I, and do, that's, I do neither of those two things. It, to be
0: fair, it, it definitely did not have anything to do with the long form style of your podcast. It had everything to do with your choice of drugs and definitely my muscle mass. At, absolutely that as well. <laughs> that as well. <laughs> um, but uh, Phil has a podcast, the Phil Drysdale Show. Um, very epic content what would I say prolific on social media? And so just tell us a little bit about what it is you what what it is you guys do the deconstruction. So
1: um, what I was finding is, I mean, I talk to hundreds of people a week that are going through some process of deconstruction. Um, And as you know, and many of your listeners will know, it's a very uh, lonely and isolating process. A lot of the time when you go through these massive shifts in faith, a lot of the time, Your family, your friends, the church um, are still very much locked in their beliefs. And so it feels like you don't have anyone to turn to, to process with, to connect with. And often, actually, when you do come out uh, and be a bit more open about where you're at, you're you're often cut off from a lot of those people. Um, And so what I was finding is loads of people connecting with you going, hey, do you know anyone in Austin, Texas? Do you know anyone in Seattle? Do you know anyone in London or Prague or, you know, everywhere in the world, people were feeling completely alone. Um, and the thing was I, I did, I, I I talked to people in these areas, but I'm not like this, uh, walking, you know, like kind of like, um, philofax, you know, I don't record every person's (laughs) name and location and have it all ready to go. Um, and so I was like, yeah, i sure I've talked to loads of people in Seattle, but I can't think of any right now. Um, and so I thought, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just create a big map that people can sign up for, put their name on the map and search for people in that area and send messages to one another. And that was the initial idea. Um, and so now it's still very early. It's about 1,300 people around the world, uh, but people are already meeting, um, others in their area. Obviously with COVID it's very digital. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's kind of yeah. funny. It's <laughs> like, finally we can meet people in our area and we're still doing it online. <laughs> so it's like, you know, now I don't have to have like talk to these people on Facebook groups. I can meet someone in Seattle on a zoom. Yeah. But um, so that's, that's the main idea. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And I mean, we've seen people, and it was up and running in very preliminary stage before COVID. And I mean, oh yeah. People in Chile meeting people in London, people in, um, you know, small towns in France and stuff that it connected. And I was like, this is crazy. Um, and so it's just really exciting to see because it is a really hard and lonely process for a lot of people. Um, it's not always the case, but a lot of the time it can be really hard. It's just the deconstruction Okay. Awesome. That's easy enough. That's really, really cool. I, can
0: you even imagine what a valuable resource that would have been mm. when, when you and when myself, when we were going through our own deconstructive process? I mean, I can't even imagine Seriously. like having had something like that at my fingertips where I could even, like you said, I, I, I'm kind of an introverted type of person. So I may not have met up with someone at Starbucks to talk deconstruction, but literally just knowing that someone else within a hundred mile radius was thinking the yep. same way would have probably kept me going for a couple years because yeah, it seriously. was such a lonely process. I felt not only did I feel alone on the pastoral staff at the church where I served, you know, at times I even felt alone in my own home. Um, mm. Sometimes even in my own mind, because there was dueling parts of myself, you know, and, uh, but man, just to have a resource like that where you know you're not alone, where you know there are others in the same process, like that's, Absolutely. That's such a great thing you're doing. And I so, so love that. I was actually talking with another guest I had on the podcast last night um, about my own process and how I ended up, you know, really keeping company with with the likes of uh, Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and some of the other, Mm. um, you know, the four horsemen of the new atheism or whatever (laughs) they they were called there for a while, Um, precisely because that was kind of where I was. I kind of, my faith, seemed to have gone all together at least for a season. And there was no one I could talk to about those things. And uh, Tim sure. Whitmarsh in his book Battling the Gods, talks about how the the theaters in Athens were they served a dual role as obviously places of entertainment, but they were also sacred spaces and he, he writes about uh, Diagoras of Milos who would um, who, who would write and have performed uh, dramas that questioned, the existence of the gods and the nature of the gods. And it wasn't something coming from outside of the religious system that was doing the questioning. It was something right within it that was doing it. And then he just posed the question, you know, what would happen if if churches in America would actually sit down and take seriously with people the thoughts of people well, like Hitchens or Dawkins in, in that context or whatever, even some controversial theologian, if we're speaking in, in those terms. But, you know, that's what I love about what you're doing is that you are creating a space mm. within something within the church. I mean, it's not a church per se, but you're not a network that's like openly divorced yourself from Christianity. You know, you're holding on to a lot of that and letting people within the context of that um, question sure. pretty much everything and just be where they're at. And I think that's just awesome. Man. And I nothing but absolute respect for you and what you're doing. And yeah. um, very inspiring, man. So thanks for doing it and really encourage everyone to check it out. So, um, yeah, of course. Yeah. But that being said, um, one does not have a passion for deconstruction if they have not, well, probably, if they have not themselves <laughs> passed through it. Um, mm. And so I'm guessing, Phil, that you have had something of a deconstructive experience yourself just uh, just talk us through it because i i for one i'm actually really interested to hear your story
1: yeah I, I think um you know i grew up in a pastor's home um uh my dad was a baptist pastor who was a charismatic pentecostal um so in, in um in europe uh Baptists tend to be uh, a lot more diverse. I I know the Baptist movement can be diverse in America, but most people associate the word Baptist to, you know, maybe more of the conservative fundamental groups like Southern Baptists and things like that. Um, But in Europe, certainly it's a lot more of a diverse grouping. You could have very conservative uh, Baptists, but you could have Baptists that are charismatic. You could have Baptists that are quite um, progressive, um, a whole kind of spectrum, but my dad was quite Pentecostal. Um, My, Yeah. So, I mean, apparently the roots of the Baptist church was that they didn't like that the Bible was the sole authority and that they thought that Jesus should be the authority. Um, And they thought that the Bible in the Protestant church had become a replacement for Jesus as the authority. And so the the Baptist movement was really a rejection of that. And they went back to, well, we should be having Jesus as our authority who helps us interpret the Bible. And so because of that, they had a very diverse um, movement. Um, that allowed for a lot of diversity because people were interpreting the Bible through their interpretation of Jesus, which um, it, for a lot of people that are deconstructing, that sounds pretty good, actually. <laughs> um, but I don't know many people deconstructing that are looking to move into the Baptist movement. So uh, they may have fallen a little astray from that uh, original call. Uh, it, certainly across the American church, there's a lot more uh, people in the Baptist movement associated with conservative and fundamental aspects. It would be very um, rigid but anyway sorry big aside um so but but i grew up in quite um quite an open environment quite a a, a very um safe environment my my mom always taught me to think for myself to question authority um, much to my dad's kind of a dismay i think he who's a bit more uh black and white and authoritarian back in the day he's become a lot more relaxed over the years um, but i think because my mom taught me to question things to ask questions to reject authority um I think I was an absolute nightmare for her to raise as a kid because of it, but it paid off for her because um, I I, I think long-term I, I, I just had developed the 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 skill of asking questions when given answers. Um, you know, so I, I would immediately go, well, why is it that way? And what is your bias? And why are you saying that? And why did they believe that? And, you know, just constantly asking questions. And it didn't make me a very good church member. Um, you know, I did the usual thing at teenage years, and I was kind of rebelling and going, well, I don't want to be known as the pastor's kid. I want to be my own identity. So I moved churches, and I actually moved into Um, quite a fundamental calvinist movement um but they had a really big youth group with lots of hot girls so i mean at 16 that was that's your that's your primary focus i think uh for me anyway it was um and so well yeah preferably together right if i can be predestined to be with one of those beautiful girls that would be amazing um said my 16 year old self who was too terrified to talk to any of those girls anyway that never happened um i was far too uh, terrified uh, anxious alone at home watching porn and being beat up by it because i was evil and rotten and sinful um that cycle um so it didn't go well for me anyway being in that church full of uh, beautiful women. um but what it did for me is it exposed me to a whole nother branch of Christianity. It was way more fundamental, like was obsessed with the Bible, which which taught me like a real um, value for reading this scripture, reading the Bible, trying to understand it. Um, and so uh, I, I wasn't even kind of um, rebellious in, in uh, one direction. I kind of bounced around all over the place because I went from that Calvinist movement. I went into um, from there, I kind of moved into, um, associate myself with like kind of neo charismatic movement. Um, I know a lot of your listeners might be aware of like kind of Bethel, Toronto, that kind of, um, grouping of kind of charismatic churches. And I ended up moving to California. I gave away all my money. I, I, I walked away from being an owner in a business. I gave the rest of my shares to my partners and I just got up and left and moved to California to like, kind of go and figure out more about God. And I was really quite radical, really. (laughs) I've always been a bit of an all or nothing. Um, gosh, a long time ago now, I would say 2000 and, um, I think 2007 through 2011, maybe 2008 through 2012. So close to a decade. Well, just over a decade, I got there and, um, just under a decade, I got back, I guess. Um, but I dove in headfirst into that. I loved it. But at the same time, I, I remember, uh, one of my friends laughing at me because on week one, they gave us like a Bill Johnson book to read and Bill Johnson's the leader of this movement at Bethel. And I'm like, wait. So I'm here to learn at this group, and the reading material is just books from people that I'm learning from every week. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, how am I going to learn different things? And like, well, you'll learn this. And I'm like, okay. So I went down to uh, Barnes and Noble and I picked up um, a new kind of Christian by Brian McLaren, mm-hmm. and I picked up uh, God Is the Gospel by John Piper, and uh, I read those first three <laughs> three books in the first two weeks. And my friend was like, what is happening? Who is this? It was one of my roommates. And he's like, who the hell is this guy I'm living with? Because like, you couldn't find two movements more different to Bethel, really, <laughs> you know? This like hardcore Calvinistic kind of um, conservative um, guy, John Piper, and then the radical, like, you know, progressive. And so all the way through Bethel, I was reading people like Shane Claiborne, but I was also like exposed myself to like Mark Driscoll and, and, and just a whole spectrum of uh, Christianity. Um, definitely wasn't at the point where I was looking beyond that, but certainly was constantly asking questions about what I was learning day in, day out. And so I've just always had that kind of drive to ask questions. Um, and I think that's what led me to my, my big kind of major deconstruction, which um, really challenged me. I think all those questions were within the primary Protestant tradition of Christianity all the way through my kind of teenage, mid-20s. Um, it was only really when I started traveling and speaking. So out of Bethel, I started to, um, I started a blog and I started to do some stuff on social media. I'm pretty sure that's probably when we kind of connected about nine, 10 years ago, eight years ago. Um, and through that, I just started getting invites to go and speak at conferences or churches and things. Um, and when I started to travel and speak, um, it was through, I I'd come to like some conclusions about grace, about God's love, about a forgiving father, about a good father, about just n- not really seeing much sense in this kind of, um, this God who is all about an economy of exchange. You do this, I'll do that. You know, that's how everything should work with the divine. It's like tit for tat dynamic. And it just didn't make sense to me, you know, the, um, the different dynamics of that. And so that's when I really started to unravel. Um, because as I went out and started teaching this, um, I found that its implications were further than what I'd really thought about. (laughs) Um, people were thinking about it to a whole nother degree they were taking those conclusions that god is good to a whole nother level they start asking questions like well what the heck is hell then or why the heck did god have to kill jesus to forgive people couldn't he just forgive someone isn't that something god could do and starting to ask these questions you you realize wow there's some really good merit in some of these questions um i was kind of crowdsourcing my deconstruction to thousands of people that i was meeting you know year in year out really um, and, and one of the things, and I know you've traveled a bit and done speaking and stuff. One of the things you find is when you travel, people don't know you and you don't know them. And there's almost this safety of anonymity, uh, anonymity, sorry, i stro- 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 with that word, um, where, you know, they can kind of tell you whatever they want because they don't you're not going to rat them out to anyone you're not going to you know tell anyone they're not going to tell their wife they said this or you know and so people would start to open up in amazing ways kind of like about the fact that they were struggling with their faith they didn't really under, it didn't make sense to them and they weren't sure about certain components or they were really doubting whether there was even a god at all or if there was a god he certainly couldn't be like this god or um and and you started to realize or i started to realize going through this process. Uh, and I've, I've come across this with a lot of people that do a lot of traveling and speaking is that Christianity is not working for a lot of people, like a lot of people. And most of these people would say, I can't talk to my pastor about this or my elders. I'd immediately be blacklisted from this church, (laughs) be kicked out, or uh, I'd lose my friendship circle. My, my partner would, my, my wife or husband would, would dissociate with me. Um, or, or even, questions people were asking you know or you'd be talking to people you know youth uh or young adults that were going as soon as i'm out of here i am done i'm not going to church when i go to university or when i graduate and i move off somewhere else i'm I'm out of here but i can't right now because this is my entire world um and and it really it just got me thinking uh, and i was the, 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 what i was thinking more than anything i think i had started to deconstruct in this process but um I wasn't as far along as a lot of people I was meeting but what I was realizing was if you are in the church um there's a great need to be pastored to be helped to have someone to go to to you know come alongside you and support you um but there's a few I don't know tens of millions of <laughs> pastors out there there's no no shortage of pastors for people that are conventional Christians doing their day-to-day Christianity um but there was basically no one for these people to turn to you know what we were talking about there at the beginning where like you know how good would it be to have something like a deconstruction network well how good would it have been jeff if there had been like you know the way you're turning to like christopher hitchens and different things like that someone to come alongside you and go hey yeah leaving christianity is an option and, and for me i have no skin in the game like i, I don't mind if people leave christianity I, I don't label myself as anything um i find it very unhelpful um generally speaking for helping people and also for you know how people um interact um To me, Christianity is a label that can be helpful or unhelpful. And some of Christianity I associate with and some I really don't at all. Um, And my faith has definitely transcended a lot of what, certainly I would be beyond whatever conventional Christianity would accept as Christianity. (laughs) Um, But for me, I, I, I was realizing at this point, there's so many people that are needing to navigate their faith whether that's growing within Christianity, growing out of Christianity, um, growing into something else and then back to Christianity or staying out of Christianity, what that path looks like is kind of immaterial to me. Um, I'm sure there is some sort of like ultimate truth that maybe some people might find or meet along the way, or maybe we discover later on down the line. Um, But to me, the big thing was that people don't have someone to just sit with them and cry with them and laugh with them and encourage them and tell them yeah you're right that's so crap and you know just to be with them um to process with them to maybe encourage them to give them maybe some resources um and i figured you know if if realistically that was something i could do it felt like a much more um a much more needed thing and it felt like that was the kind of people that um I think at that time, I would still have kind of very much held to uh, a lot of Christian notions of what the divine might have looked like. And and I would have said, this feels like a calling. This feels like the people God's giving me. Um, I'm not sure I'd use exactly the same language today. Maybe I could. It doesn't really matter to me. Um, but yeah, so I think that's what transitioned me into this. And But it felt, uh, for me, when I work with people, of the thousands of people I've talked to, maybe like, you know, two or three percent have found this an enjoyable, fun, uh, exciting, relaxing even at times uh, very easy transition i'm one of those people though i really i enjoyed learning new things figuring out i'm wrong exploring new ideas it, it's always been very exciting for me to do that again kind of throwing back to when my mom told me to like question everything and you know doubt authority and and always look out for different ways of seeing things i think i just was kind of built to to deconstruct as a default um Uh, and so even in my reconstructions at times where I've gone oh I think I'm going to reconstruct some things of this um, component of spirituality I'm very quickly going well yeah but do I want to deconstruct that and look at some other things I'm just that's my natural disposition Um, but I know most people that's not their experience it can be very painful hard uh, scary there's a lot of suffering and pain I mean um, there's a lot of grief in the process of deconstruction there's a loss of the God that we knew there's a loss of relationships and and friends family um our community our church there's there's all sorts of loss of certainty loss of um an existential uh identity and and security uh, and eternal security there's all these kind of losses that you have to grieve and go through and to be honest with you, I maybe went through some of them, but for the most part, I kind of skipped through them quite excited <laughs> so Um, I'm probably going to be quite rare as far as people that you might have on your podcast that deconstruct, um, telling their stories where I I really had a great time and enjoyed it. it. It was very, and that's not to say I've had really horrible situations along the way in the midst of that, you know, so I went through a painful divorce. Um, uh, my mother died in the midst of that, you know, I have had a lot of ups and downs. Um, I've also got remarried, you know, many years later and I've had like an amazing community emerge around me. My family have got even closer, you know, it's, it's it's all been the ups and downs of life. Um, but certainly in, on the level of kind of feeling a spiritual security, a safety, um, that hasn't been something that's worried me too much, um, which has been a bit, Uh, This is maybe a bit baffling. I'm a bit of a weird person anyway. I've got a bit of a weird psychology anyway, probably.
0: I feel you to a, to a point with the, with the fun with deconstruction idea. Um, You know, that there was a point where I don't know, have you ever just, I don't know, maybe you have an old towel or an old blanket or something and it's a little threadbare and you just start pulling the thread on it and you're like, you just get carried away. And I'm kind of, (laughs) and I don't even, I don't say this in a derogatory way toward anyone who is diagnosed, but I would, I am very OCD with stuff like that. And so I would, I could Mm. just sit there and pull at a thread and I just get caught up doing it until eventually I realize I just destroyed a garment or something, (laughs) you know, Um, I could just get caught up doing it. Um, And I think with me, the deconstruction, it, you know, it started with a few beliefs. I mean, I, it, it is really even hard to pinpoint the Genesis of my own, deconstruction experience simply because there was so much to it and I could actually trace Mm. it. Right. When I think I pinpoint it, it goes back even further and further and further. But you know, when I was actually in the thick of it, where it could actually be identified as that process or experience, you know, things were just falling left and right. You know what I mean? Doctrines that I had held sacred my entire life that I don't even know, I was taught them, but I may have, they may have just been like epigenetically, if that's a word, like transmitted to me. I don't even know. It was just like, they've just always been there, you know? And, um, but they were just falling left and right. And there was something really fun about that because Hmm. when I was in, in this process, my world kind of became a little bit unenchanted. Like, so much, mm. I, I, like you, came from the um, kind of neo-charismatic movement. Um, I never did take a trip to Toronto, even though we live only three hours from it, but I took several to Pensacola to the Brownsville revival over the years, which I'm sure you're familiar with as well. Um, right. yeah. My wife and I lived there for two years, um, heavily involved in all things charismatic, prophetic, um, IHOP, anything that had the smell of revival, on it we were there we were all over (laughs) it um you name it we followed it around the country and had it lay hands on us you know and um uh, so my world was a very enchanted world everything was god speaking to me every dream was was a divine message every little inkling was a divine um communication my world was was enchanted every uh, the wind blowing through the tops of the trees could have been an angel a dove you know a seagull feather Mm. probably a flea laden seagull feather landing on my shoulder was an angel you know i mean you've been through that you know what i'm talking about right you know uh, i do <laughs> the the glitter from the flag that the lady was waving at the altar and almost poking you in the eye that brushed against you was gold dust and you know every yeah. the world was just enchanted and it was exciting to live in a mm. world like that and um Deconstruction, when I was in the midst of that, my world kind of became a little unenchanted, like that, that enchantment was gone. Mm, And the falling of these, these massive um, theological idols and ideas almost took the place of that enchantment. Um, It kind Mm. of, it it took the place of the excitement that I was getting from maybe the charismatic, you know, manifestations and the meetings we were going to and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of took the place of that. And um, so I, I, I I have experienced that part of it that was like, Oh, this is a lot of fun, but I'll never forget one night I was up late. Everybody else was in bed. I don't know what I was doing. I was pacing. I pace my floor at night sometimes and just like pray and think and try to figure (laughs) out life. And it was one of those nights. And I had been in this season of deconstruction for years and years at that point. And I felt like I hit a wall where And I know it wasn't true, but I felt like I came to a point where I was like, I'm at the end. I don't have anything more to deconstruct. Mm. Now, I know that's obviously not true, but at the time, as far as my kind of evangelical charismatic faith was concerned, I felt like I had kind of reached the end and there wasn't really any more threads to pull at. And that was the that was a terrifying moment because it was like all of a sudden I was I was without anything to hold on to because I wasn't really saying yes to anything anymore. I didn't really have like a yes in my spirit. Everything, Mm. everything was a no. And I had found my identity in what I kind of opposed. And I could kind of say that, well, it's my devotion to Jesus that's making me say this no. And I think that was, you know, to an extent true, but even so I was really leaning on my nose, you know, and so yeah. when I found myself in this place where I didn't have anything left to say no to, except just to go back and rehash everything I'd said no to in the past, it felt like I kind of, I don't know, I kind of lost my bearings there for a minute. And that was the most terrifying part of deconstruction for me. I don't know, does that, does that resonate or ring true with you at all? Or does it, are you, have you heard others say the same thing in the work that you're doing?
1: It's, it's very, very common. For me, I I didn't really have that experience. Um, I, I've had those experiences in losing other things. I can, I can empathize, you Mm -hmm. know, so when I went through a divorce, I felt like I just had nothing left when my wife left, you know, like, or when my mom was, you know, diagnosed with cancer died very suddenly. And I, I just felt like, what is there, you know, like, it was the thing of like, you know, you feel like you, you don't know which way is up anymore. You mm. don't know what's left to hold on to. How, how does this world exist without this other person? That was the first person I was ever been very close to that had died. You know, mm. I lost grandparents, but I wasn't very close to my grandparents. They didn't live very close. Yeah. Uh, we didn't see them often. So like, it was very um, unsettling and, and, and definitely turned my world. So, so on some levels, but it's, it's very different. Yeah. Um, in some ways it's actually a lot harder than losing a tangible person. Um, but the, the loss of this, um, the, well, like I said, the grief that we go through and the loss that we go through in deconstruction, it, it can be losing many different components, but the loss of God as the bedrock, yeah, um, you know, most Christians are happy to go, well, yeah, if this community, if it's not really the true God I'm connecting with at the Baptist church, I'll go to the charismatic church or the Methodist church or the whatever, mm. like And it's okay to lose that. Most Christians would even choose to, um, uh, you know, lose their family over God. You know, like we see that quite often, you know, parents turning their back on a gay son, Mm -hmm. perhaps, you know, because, well, God isn't on board with that. But when people lose God, I mean, when we've made God that's utter centerpiece, the foundation of everything, Um, it's a very, very terrifying process. It's, It's this process of... A lot of deconstructionism is moving from a psychological um, frame um, of, uh, we we often in the church have a traditional psychological frame, which values certainty, safety and security. Mm -hmm. And the next stage psychologically is to grow into um, what's called modern stage and this values, um, you know, rationality, logic. Um, it the self as authority rather than diver, uh, giving authority to uh, rather than accepting authority of others. It, it chooses to give authority where it, it finds value in it. Um, and that next stage can often get very reductionist, mm-hmm. very um, nihilistic as in turn, because what happens is we start to reduce our Christianity, our faith, our whatever backgrounds we come from, it could be Islam, it could be hinduism. you you start to look at your faith from a reductionist, logical, rational point of view you start to reject those authority figures and look to be go well who is authoritative on this topic well bart ehrman knows more about the bible than my pastor yeah and then (laughs) so you start like tearing apart the new testament you go holy shit, there's no new testament to hold on to anymore it's all lies you know everyone lied to me yeah (laughs) Um, and what happens is if you keep doing that process um you'll you'll tear the you know deconstruction is often you know a good analogy would be tearing a house down deconstructing a house right Mm -hmm. and so you you inherit this house that was given to you. You walked into this house that was Christianity because your parents or close friends, when you were young, you know, introduced you to it. And you inherit this house, and you go, "Ah, I don't really like this house that much. I quite like to build something different on the land." And so you start like poking holes at things, and maybe you go, "Well, maybe I'd just like to reconstruct it. But maybe some new windows, knock that wall through." But as you start doing the process of deconstructing what you need to deconstruct, you start to realize, oh, there's mold in here. I need to get rid yeah. of that." oh that drywall is completely gone we need to knock that wall down and start from scratch oh god oh no that's not good the whole timbers are like completely rotten we're gonna to have to build the walls from scratch and the roof and everything and then you get the experts in and they start tearing apart your foundations going these foundations are crap from the beginning you know if, yeah. if you don't have something to hold on to you are gonna end up quite nihilistic and and ultimately end up with nothing left yeah. you know it's the pulling apart the thread it's you know you're standing on a rug and pulling that thread and then before you know it, you're holding the rug and you're not standing on anything <laughs> you've just got a big ball of string you know it really is the form of christianity that we have
0: been ha- and i guess this is a question for someone like yourself who is working extensively with people in countries all over the world uh, probably more much more so than i am i mean mine's more of a casual I do what I do as a preacher, teacher, whatever. And obviously I hear from people and I communicate with people, but you're really aiming and focusing on this. Um, So maybe, you know, this would be a good question to ask. Is deconstruction the way that we are talking about it right now? Is this a uniquely Western phenomenon? I mean, I know, of course, it does occur in other cultures, but does it seem more common in Western culture Or even when it's not coming from the West, even so, the individuals who are experiencing it um, are or were ensconced in a Western form of Christianity. Like, do you think this is a unique feature to the West? And I I say that because that was Nietzsche's thesis, is Mm. that Christianity, the Western form of Christianity, it's it's, a logical outcome was nihilism. Yeah. And he says, you know, the, uh, the recoil stroke, I believe in will to power, the recoil stroke of quote, God is truth in the fanatical belief is quote, all is false. Mm. So he says the recoil of our, the way that we uh, desire certainty and we posit God as being that, um, the recoil stroke of that notion is that all is false. Mm. Um, and so it seems to me that that's a uniquely Western approach to God, to Christianity, to religion, and as a result, this form of deconstruction we're talking about is a uniquely Western phenomenon. What are your, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely up for debate. I don't think the, yeah, the data yeah. is completely locked in. I, we're trying to... So through the Deconstruction Network, I, um, I, I'm working with a research company. We do research on people that are deconstructing. Um, and so we're hoping in the next year or so to be continuing to develop uh, more robust data and including some more um, international data. A lot of people on there right now are very um, UK and US centric. Um, but certainly yeah. in my, uh, experience, I'm definitely coming across a lot more people in those regions. Now that can be very bubbled, you know, when your social media audience sure. is American, they share, well, who are they sharing with their American audience? Right. And so you end up in these mm-hmm. little bubbles, yeah. but I talk with people all over the world, um, that are going through this. What I do think is, um, that generally speaking from an anthropological, um, point of view, um, when we look at different societies, we can see a natural progression in how they develop how they grow um, and they move from different Mm -hmm. stages from one to another and so what we can see is that um in a lot of the um parts of the world outside of the western world so maybe uh western europe and america as soon as you in the north america you kind of areas as soon as you step out of those areas into um, latin america africa the middle east um quite a bit of asia certainly southeast asia um what you see is that most of those um countries are at a, a precursor state to where the western world was or, or is sorry so yes. like if you go back 200 years ago you go oh wow that's where certain countries are now you know, and a lot of that is because we mm-hmm. raped and pillaged those countries and held them back for so much. Or maybe we got so, so yeah, far ahead yeah. because we raped and pillaged those. So it's, it's yeah. not a, um, a demonization. It's not even to say that one stage is better than another. It's just that one stage follows on from another. You know, you wouldn't say being mm-hmm. a teenager is better than being 10. Um, in fact, a lot of parents would right. wish they could go back to having 10 year olds. Um, but Being a teenager comes after being 10. You know, you don't really get to skip that stage. Um, But we also know, well, thank God, so does the 20s. You know, they they grew up again. (laughs) They kind of develop. Um, And and I think that what we're seeing is um, that what we have today in the West, in a very um, modern slash even postmodern civilization, when we start to look at places like Northern Europe, which are very advanced um, when we look at them from a sociological, anthropological level, um they're very post-christian nations um if you go back to the western um countries you know western europe america they're still very much holding on to their faith um maybe western europe a little less than uh than north america um but then you take another step back and go okay well what about um different countries like africa um countries like um southeast asia you know in indonesia the philippines these countries are thriving in america in a Christianity, gosh, what a Freudian slip that was, eh? they right. Conflating Americanity <laughs> and Christianity. Um, you know, so Latin America has experienced an explosion of Christianity. And a lot of it is because um they're at a stage where Christianity gives them a lot of things that they are looking for, a society, more certainty, yes. safety, security. Um, and of course there's a glamorization of that. There's the Americanization of Christianity will make you like America. And who doesn't want to be mm. like America, right? Right. Um, maybe. Mm. Um, but so i think there's, there's a lot of dynamics at play with that um now it's hard to say then will they in another 30 50 60 years end up being like uh america and western europe moving into a post christian uh stage I, I would theorize that they probably will you know stuart murray's done a lot of research into post christianity and he's got some good stuff on that um Uh, But yeah, I I would I would suggest that there's a really good chance that that's the kind of trajectory that most places are on. So we might not see as much deconstructing in those areas because they're not at that point where they're trying to uh, where they're ready to reject authority uh, authorities um given to them and create mm-hmm. their own authorities they're, they're quite willing to accept authority figures and the uh, authority um uh, structures like the bible or a church you know so not just figures as well but these kind of inanimate things that we attribute or even authority figures like well god said it you know yeah. here's a prophecy god said it and people do it right i mean we've all heard stories of people that get married over a prophecy or something like that you right, know right um so i i think that it will be a while before we see heavy deconstruction in a lot of these uh, cultures unless mm. they're heavily exposed to a much more western way of thinking yeah um, that might be very beneficial for them in a lot of ways you know christianity as much as it's been very negative throughout the centuries has also brought a lot of positive elements to it you know and so yeah um, you, you don't get one without the other in some ways um apparently yeah yeah um, so yeah no just... I, I no i hear that i i feel
0: that um yeah. And I ask for a specific reason and I, um, you know, the Nietzsche's work has been invaluable to me in kind of understanding the microcosmic and macrocosmic, uh, deconstructive uh, experience, um, because he really seemed to understand it and put forth some fantastic, you know, um, analogies for it. And my favorite, and anyone who's ever heard me is going to get tired of hearing me talk about this because I talk about it all the time, <laughs> but in, 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 thus spake Zarathustra, he, he gives the parable of the camel, lion and child and the three metamorphosis of the human spirit. And he says that, that we begin as camels and we're essentially, you know, load bearing creatures. And, and we, we, we walk around in a dromedarian fashion, bearing the burdens of other people. And we often mistake them as things we've chosen Um, because we're born bearing them and um, we do so willingly. It gives us a sense of purpose. It gives us a sense of identity. Um, It can even, you know, we can build communities around these things. Um, But then eventually we encounter the dragon called thou shalt. And he says, it's at that (laughs) point that the camel um, metamorphosizes into the lion. And that's where the lion, um, that's where we learn to roar our sacred no in the face of that dragon. Mm. And for me, that seems to kind of be the decon. that almost seems to me to be reflective of the state that many are in right now, especially yeah. post evangelicals are mm-hmm. right now. And um, it makes perfect sense. And um, but of course, even that can't last forever, um, because then you eventually become the mirror image of the thing you're saying no to. And like me, eventually you come to a point where you realize I don't have an identity anymore because my mm-hmm. identity is in my No. But since no is quite literally a negation and a nothing, then I'm kind of without an identity in this moment. Even when you come to the end, when you've, when you've roared your last no and you just can't do it as passionately anymore because you've kind of gotten it out of your system. And so Nietzsche's next phase of, of development <laughs> then was that of the, the child. And um, it seems kind of uh, bizarre that you'd go from a camel to a lion to a child, but he said the child is the state of creation. And elsewhere... Um, I want to say genealogy of morals could be beyond good and evil. He writes that, you know, the, the, the height of maturity is when we recapture the seriousness of a child at play. Mm. And um, it's that point where you're creating again, because you're just so caught up in living. You're not trying to create, you're not trying to play. You're simply playing, but your play is creation. And so in a sense, your world becomes enchanted again, even as mine was when I was a child playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles up in my bedroom. You know, I wasn't like thinking that I was playing. I was just engaged in this world, you know, Um, but at the same time, I was creating these epic scenarios. At least they seem epic to me at the time. And, um, (laughs) you know, and so he's like, it's all about getting back to that state where your world is so enchanted again that you just simply play without 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 thinking or desiring even to create. And as a result, you just simply create. And that was kind of, if I understand Nietzsche correctly, which is saying a lot. um, But that, that is the phase that this is pushing us towards. And of course he was, you know, not not a believer in God of any sort. And so he said Mm. that we have to become gods ourselves, essentially. And Mm. in the parable of the madman where the um, atheists of his era are rejoicing, um, well, he comes along, this madman comes along, which is representative of Nietzsche. And he's he's holding a lantern in the middle of the day. And he's saying, you know, I seek God. And they begin to laugh at him and uh, mock him because they're atheists who now know, well, there is no God. What do you mean you're looking for God? Mm-hmm. And um, he's like, oh, I've come too soon. So he came expecting it to be dark. In other words, expecting what we did by killing god to have already taken effect he expected it to be dark and that's why he came with a lantern but it was still light out because it was going to take time for that idea to really bring us to that point Mm. that i found myself in that night i think on a a, you know where i was like whoa what happened and he was like oh i've come too soon you're still rejoicing over this you don't understand and so then he goes on to say that, you know, here's what we're going to have to do. You know, he's like, how will we wipe the blood from our hands, we who have murdered God? He's like, well, we have to become gods ourselves. And that was his idea. Not necessarily, you yeah. know, not in in the sense the Christian might read that and gasp and clutch their pearls thinking he's referring to, but like <laughs> he just means we have to create our own meaning. We have to create our own morals in the world. And um, sure. I think that's the state of the child also, where you got to get to that point of creation again. Now, I don't agree with Nietzsche's thesis. I'm I still am a believer. Um, and I, yeah. I, I still, I, I'm a mystic at heart. And I have found my world to be incredibly, uh, it's been re-enchanted over the last many years. And, um, you know, in mm. fact, my world is now more full of wonder than it ever was before. And I think it's because I lost that childish sense of wonder that was just naivety. You know what I mean? It wasn't, It wasn't wonder because it was wonder. It was wonder because I was a child and everything was wonderful. And so I almost had to have wonder sucked out of everything. I almost had to have that experience where I'm in my kitchen and I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I don't even have anything to say no to anymore. I'm without anything at all. And it was that like really dark night of the soul, I suppose you could call it, that I got sucked into. It was that death of God moment. It was that you know, I, I came to the end of my, my nose, I could roar in the face of this dragon moment. And that really brought me to this place where I rediscovered a faith that actually works. And, um, I actually feel like I can engage in creation again and and yes saying Mm. instead of just the no saying. And, and it's been a beautiful season for the last several years of discovery and, um, you know, boy, I really just kind of went on off on a little tangent there, and I apologize. That's really. I'm good. a preacher at heart, so I can I got to be careful, or I can just go off. But you know, I don't know what are you what are you Let's what are your thoughts on that? And even again, as one who who works heavily with those in the process of deconstruction, what are your thoughts of you know um, what comes next? And uh, mm. I don't even like saying it that way, and I know you understand why I don't, but. Um, no, I know we talked about this it, on my podcast. Yeah, so. exactly. Because it isn't—it's <laughs> yeah. not so much a next step thing because it's not exactly, yeah. you know, linear. But um, it's not as black and white as that. It, absolutely, yeah. and it's different for everybody. And we're finding that out just you and me sharing our own stories. That yours went one way, mine went a different way. Very, it was the same experience, but it was experienced differently by the experience yeah. the experiencer. But um. You know, I don't know where where do you see this uh, leading people to? What do you think? I don't know. You know, I, why don't you? Why don't you just uh, give me your thoughts on it before I dig myself <laughs> in too big of a hole here?
1: <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Um, I I have a problem. on my podcast where I, I end up trying to ask a, a guest a question and I just I asked the question for about 10 minutes yeah. at which point I've given myself like five answers. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I don't even know what my question was. But there's five <laughs> answers. Yeah. Go figure out a sixth one, or pick which one you like, or I don't know. Um, so, kindred spirits. Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, it's 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 a really tough one because um, you know I'm I've always said and this really appalls people, um, but. I've always said, if I can convert a Christian to a Muslim, I'm a happy person. Mm. If I can convert a Muslim to an atheist, I'm a happy person. If I convert an atheist to Hinduism or Christianity, I am happy. I All I care about is helping people move forward yeah. in a way that they feel um, they are growing in what I would maybe call spirituality, which I would disassociate with religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would probably associate with some sort of blend of um, healthy mental health self-identity being within this world and being with whatever they believe is maybe beyond what this world might uh, contain or, or might be knowable uh, in a conventional scientific rational way yeah. and so I, you know I, I really am very careful not to guide people's deconstruction or what some people might want to call a reconstruction yeah. what you'll find is a lot of people talk about reconstruction and what they what you'll find is the majority of people that talk about reconstruction are going to tell you what you should build right you know? right um, it's, it's fascinating to me how many people have figured out reconstruction they've written a book about it and they will tell you how to build your life right <laughs> um, and what's interesting is most people that deconstruct have removed that authority figure have tried to establish themselves as some sort of authority figure or at least identify how to pick authority figures and people that they might um, look at and go, oh, you know a lot about this topic, Mm. let me lean on you. But they'll break up their authority figures into many different categories, Mm. right? It might be that um, you look at a very... traditional conventional christian they might look to their pastor for opinions on politics on healthcare, Mm. on all sorts of different things and at the best of time a pastor's maybe qualified to talk about religion even then sometimes not at all Um, (laughs) you know uh, but i certainly wouldn't want them to be making medical decisions for me you know and so people that deconstruct have tended to shift into more of a i'm looking at different um fields differently i'm going to look at medicine and i'm going to go well let me look at a bunch of different people in that field and go oh what do doctors say what do experts say what do scholars say mm-hmm. um and so what you'll find is um what you do when you choose to try and um uh, define what reconstruction should look like package it up and give it to someone that's deconstructing is you're actually becoming the thing they're trying to reject yep you are becoming an authority figure, telling them what to believe, why to believe it, how to believe it, how to live their lives. And that's exactly what they're running from. Mm -hmm. And so actually, it it really is unhelpful. And actually, it's really damaging if you hit it at an early stage of deconstruction, because some people, as they begin to deconstruct, actually look for a new authority figure Mm -hmm. to accept. And so if you can find an authority figure that's maybe deconstructed a couple of ideas, but then has repackaged everything else. Yeah. Some people really grab on to that and and kind of stop the process, mm. um, which you know if that works for them, I'm not necessarily saying it's bad. I, I should probably be hesitant to say it's uh, unhealthy, but I can't help but feel it is potentially. Well, yeah, because so. it's,
0: because then it <laughs> yeah, creates yeah. it creates the potential for a crash later. I mean that the the, the things exactly. you did not address, you received a quick fix in the form of this person who's put them for sells forth as a, a deconstructionist guru. You know who I've been down the path. I know Mm -hmm. what it looks like. And now let me show you the path to reconstruction. Well, they can kind of that can give you a false sense of, okay. well, this person's been there. And um, but but then much later could come another crash. And um, yeah, so I can see how that would be a danger
1: so cuz it isn't a one size fits all either and, and the, the right. honest truth is that some people the their journeys who they are the way they think their experiences their relationships will guide them to a path of um of atheism of right. agnosticism of christianity but radically reinvented or reinterpreted um and and to me all of those if they're moving them towards a healthier uh, Spirituality, as I defined it earlier, um, that's really positive. It's good. I'd much rather you believed a completely heretical, demon-filled theology, as a mm-hmm. Christian would define it. If it's making you healthy, it's it's helping you heal your wounds. It's helping you have better relationships. It's helping you feel more connected to um, to yourself, to people around you, to the the universe, to divinity, to God, however you might language that. You know, the yeah. Holy Spirit, Jesus, whatever it might be. Um, for me, that's a positive move in the right direction. You know, I I always fall back on my my Christian tradition to um, to remind myself that the devil was actually pretty bad at his job. <laughs> um, so the devil's job was to lie to people and convince them they're wrong. Well, the, the thing is the Holy Spirit's job was to convince them of the truth and to lead people into truth. And, yeah. and so it always fascinates me that Christians seem so much more convinced that the devil is good at deceiving than they are that the Holy Spirit is good at leading people into truth. Yeah. And so I always say like, you know, if there is a guiding force in this universe that we believe is good, that we believe is out there for us, um, we we have to on some level believe that that being is guiding us into something good. It's it's leading us into truth, and we might take some weird paths. Um, mm. You know, a lot of people will be like, "Well, you know, you, there's only one path to to God. It's it's through Jesus. It's through the Christ." Mm. Um, but in my opinion, I, I, whilst that might be true, I don't see a path where Christ won't come and find you. Yeah. Exactly. Um and yeah. so, you know, Christ still comes and finds you on your really, really, really weird path. Mm. Um, you know, <laughs> I've yeah. taken some weird ones and he still yeah. found me. Um yeah. and so I I am not too worried about those dynamics. Now, of course, I've had to deconstruct certain beliefs that allow me to do that. If you have some real hard hitting fundamental beliefs about all kinds of different um uh sticks that God holds over your head, threatening to whack you with if you're wrong, mm. that can be very different. And this is where you have um, a lot of things like uh, Marlene Winnell's um, uh, religious uh, trauma syndrome, which mm-hmm. is a type of complex PTSD which a lot of people that are leaving uh, the church or deconstructing their faith or radically um, reinterpreting what Christianity might look like um, are coming away with something called religious trauma syndrome yeah. and basically it is it's, it's a type of PTSD. it's, it's um, you know PTSD tends to come from a fear of a threat of injury, a threat of death. Um, more often than not, that that doesn't have to be an actual threat of death or threat of injury, it can be perceived, you could have PTSD over someone saying some really mean things, if your brain was wired in the way to perceive that to be a threat, um, it can give you quite severe PTSD but what bigger fear of fear of threat or fear of death is there than the the creator of the universe if you step out a line threatening to burn you in your own fat for eternity right yep yeah, yeah. um, and so how many people are coming out of these um, movements with severe religious trauma i've had people talk to me and say phil i've not believed in hell for a decade mm. and still every now and again i wake up soaked in sweat the bed sheets soaked in sweat from night terrors because i've dreamt that i've gone to hell because i was wrong about my belief yeah mm-hmm. um and that's a decade later yeah. after letting go of that belief that's how deep-seated some of these yeah. kind of traumas can be when well,
0: those thoughts
1: yeah when you're
0: inundated with that message from the time you're a child and you are and the reason that god is as wrathful towards you as god is is simply because you are a child you were born Mm. guilty you were born with his with this with the sight of his wrath wrath rifle focused on you because you were born in the image of adam and it's like you don't even have to necessarily be told that but if you're born in an environment where that is the belief that sinks into your bones and your conscious mind takes that in so long and then it sinks deep down into the subconscious and once it's there it's there <laughs> and it takes yeah. it takes some serious work and even even almost reprogramming where you really do have to yeah. you have to there you do have to find a healthier belief and almost even in a mantra like fashion sometimes repeat it to yourself mm. until it sinks into your mind and replaces those old thoughts it's a it it, it yeah. really is it's a it's a terrible terrible thing and i like you i've seen it in so many people and what i man one of the other things, and I've been seeing this a lot lately with a lot of people that I've been talking to and working with, and it figures right into everything we're talking about, is that not only are people you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old and still terrified and, and waking up soaking in perspiration because of a fear of hell, but there's also people 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old who have never once in their life felt like a sense of like, autonomy or like that they can make their own decisions mm. because all of their life religion has made their decisions for them um god has you know quote unquote god has made their decisions for them and they're always searching out the elusive will of god and if they get out of it well you know we've seen how that goes with jonah you know and mm-hmm. um all these things and, and people there's it, it could very well be a part of the religious trauma syndrome, but even just this inability to make a decision for yourself an inability to be decisive an inability to even have like a real focus and an aim and a goal in life. Um, Mm. Once they lose that religion that always gave that to them, that always kind of guided them, you know, because one of the words for religion is to the definitions of religion is, you know, to bind. And so there is a Uh, Mm. There is a sort of, you know, religion does bind you to a sense of purpose. And then once it's gone and you feel completely unbound, well, for a season, that feels great. You know, and you're just going (laughs) to drive down the highway with the top down in your convertible screaming how free you are. But then after a while, you're like, okay, but where am I going? And you don't have that sense of purpose or aim anymore. And you feel unable to make any kind of decisions. And um, I I feel right now that's that's a real emphasis I've been feeling even in people that I've been working with and talking to is is helping people to realize and also trying to realize more and more myself that um, one of the fruits of the spirit, and if people don't like this language, just hear it as a philosophy rather than as a dogma, but Mm. one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. And so the spirit wants you to take control of yourself, You know, and we, Mm -hmm. we often think, you know, God just wants to pull the strings and be in control, but the work of the spirit in our heart is actually to bring us to a point where we can take the reins and be in control of ourselves and of our lives again. And, um, you know, I think one of the, um, when people lose their, their sense of, of, of when they lose God, that's one of the things we also find ourselves, one of the places we find ourselves in is just this purposelessness and this inability to you know have an aim or make a decision and uh that, that's why i think that's even what nietzsche saw and he was pointing us towards is like look mm. in in a world without god as you've known god you have to become god and he had the word the Ubermensch for this yeah. which meant superman okay well you can throw that out the window if you want but even so he was still on to something that you do have to kind of recapture this sense of you know, self control. But, you know, what I found is that we often think we have to do that then completely outside of the bounds of religion. But I think it can happen right smack dab within it. It doesn't have to, but it can. And I've seen so many people over the years enter into. Like you said, I've had people tell me, Hey, I thank God for your ministry. It's made me an atheist. And I'm like, oh, Well, you know, a couple of years ago, I'm not sure how I would have taken that. But right now, I take that as a compliment <laughs> because, as you said, that represents somebody taking the reins of their life and saying, Okay, yeah. no longer am I going to be led about by this oppressive belief system or whatever this belief system I no longer yeah. agree with. I'm going to do my own thing. And they might go, down 10,000 different paths before all is said and done. And I'm not the one, I'm not here to judge their journey because I don't know where they're going to end up. And I'm not even here to judge the leg of their journey they're on because if they're being honest, that's all that they can be. And, um, you know, I've seen people who were pastors, who were ministers, and they were on fire and they were doing it like nobody's business. And then they went through this season of deconstruction and then they left the ministry and they went into business and they're killing it. And they're doing a phenomenal job and people look at them and they're like, Oh, what a shame. And I'm like, yeah, but if you understand the, the, the idea of kenosis that God empties himself and becomes less and in becoming less becomes more because it's the God who emptied himself and became subject to death. It's to that God that the name above every other name was given Thomas Altizer says that the the forward movement of the incarnation is um, kenosis, that that kenosis or God becoming less is God becoming more, and so sometimes mm. the the more people sink into what to us looks like non Christianity or even a rejection of it, but sometimes they're becoming the truest version of themselves that God or however you want to understand that what God has always wanted for them to be, and they're finally walking it out. And it doesn't look like Christianity anymore, but it's more Christianity Mm -hmm. now than it ever was before. And um, I really think that's such a powerful thing that, that, that really needs emphasis is that God, however you understand it. And even in the context of Christianity, even though it sounds so antithetical to the Christianity we've been raised with, well, in fact, it is antithetical to the Christianity we've been raised with is that taking control of your own life is actually a very godly thing to do and sometimes the more you pull away from this or that the more you're actually uh becoming the thing you were always trying to become i don't know if that made any sense but i mean what, what are your thoughts on that and have you seen that and um i don't know if you just give me your thoughts on that yeah
1: no no absolutely i i think you know this is something i deal with a lot a lot of people come to me and say look this is what i'm feeling i'm feeling very purposeless i'm feeling very um kind of like I've just span out of control and I have no person I before I would just say a prayer and God would tell me what to do or he'd reassure me or I would go to my pastor and they would like go oh well this is you know the purpose look at your prophecies You have you know yeah. all these different certainties people can have or I'd read the bible and it would assure me that God has a plan for your life and this is what it is and um all of that kind of has gone out the window for a lot of these people yeah. and it's interesting is one of the places I push them is to humanists and to athe- atheists mm-hmm. Um, they've been doing this a lot longer than we have, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, because they, they have gone and started from scratch and gone, okay, we don't have those those sources of certainty and security. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a safety net. We don't have any of that. How do I build purpose? How do I find meaning? how do i find a bearing how do i know that i am someone that's worth something how do i find some worth in other people um you know we talk we talk a lot about what i love one of the things i love in christianity is how quick people are to assume if you're not a christian you're gonna completely have no morals and run around raping and killing everyone (laughs) right right? you know it's like it's fascinating to me like if like they're like what an atheist oh my god i can't even Mm -hmm. imagine the things they would be up to and it's like well. Most atheists I know have a pretty solid set of morals. Right. Um, but what's fascinating to me is, is the concept of there's two ways that you can um, establish your morals in your life. One is you're given a set of ethics mm-hmm. by a group, by a, uh, a, a spiritual book, by a uh, spiritual grouping, by a government, whatever it is, and says this is the ethics of the law of the land, the law of the religion. Do it. Um, or you sit down and you evaluate what do i believe why do i believe that what how will i live and govern my life now of course it's very rare that you're going to do just one of those two things you're probably going to blend a lot of those two things Mm -hmm. um but i think there's one thing that humanists and atheists teaches is that there's actually something quite beautiful about living your morals out because you believe them because you've established them because you've sat and thought them through and gone no i'm pretty confident that raping and killing people is just not a good thing i'm just not going to do that like the thing that terrifies me is that some christians apparently are only not raping and killing yeah. because it's, it's bad according to god i'm right. like if god turned around and was like well actually i've got a few exceptions would they be like oh sweet <laughs> right you know i i mean hopefully not or if they suddenly but, you know, found themselves concept, in right? an
0: apparently godless universe are they just going to go all you right. know uh, whatever lord of the flies <laughs> or whatever i mean
1: the, it, these are the people that like make the purge possible exactly right? yeah. i've not seen it but yeah. like you yeah. Know? Yeah. well how stunted <laughs> like, are your moral these people yeah. <laughs> You don't want your neighbors to be these people. Yeah, exactly.
0: Like how stunted and shriveled must your moral scruples be? Not to uh, turn a crass phrase there, but if you live your whole life only being moral because you fear the punishment that will follow your immorality or desire and long for the reward that will follow your morality. I mean, you never develop a keen, matured sense of morality. And so if you did find Mm. yourself suddenly in an apparently godless universe... What would keep you from those things? Now, I hope those people deep down are actually better than the beliefs they espouse. And if you know, I'm sure they are. However, it's also a hard thing to test. And how could God? How could God possibly (laughs) be opposed to a person? um, Understanding that right is right just because it's right, you know. And I love the, the Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, when they're told that. When when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry and a stranger, mm. they all have to stop and specifically ask, Lord, uh, when did we see you in this state again? Which means that when they were doing the things they were doing, they were absolutely unconscious of yeah. the fact that they were doing them for God in disguise. And so they weren't doing yeah. them for the reward. They were doing them just because that's what, yeah. well, sheep in the best
1: sense of the term do you know anyways yeah no it's beautiful and and i think yeah so i think these kind of groups have a lot to teach us um, yeah because they have been establishing these kind of purpose um you know uh, you know uh, uh identities and and values and meanings um they've shaped them they've created them for themselves now i'm not saying that that's that's to say that they're right or they've got it right over christians but i think they've got a lot to teach people um, whether they go back into and and form a deeper uh, uh, or a different type of christianity um, as their root spirituality or whether they don't i think there's a lot to be learned from those people and i think generally speaking Those are the people that are going to teach us the most when we're going through that season, because I don't think Christians have answers. Most Christians are going to go, oh, well, you know, pray about it or look at this Bible verse that says that. And none of that's going to be particularly encouraging to someone in the throes of deconstruction, right? Um, And so, yeah, that's generally kind of my like, oh, I'm going to go and check out these guys. It's, you know, it's it's like when I wanted to learn how to be more present, I didn't read any Christian books. I, I turned to the East. Because right. those guys have been practicing being present for about four thousand, five thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, they they've gotta got to get this one down. I'll just see what they have to say. Yes. But well, isn't um, that amazing? So it's, again, would... it's that stage of looking at the experts. What do the experts yeah. say about this one?
0: <laughs> I was just having a conversation with someone about this last night where it was like, We assume, you know, let's say you're the strictest, most orthodox Christian out there, not necessarily big O Orthodox, but just, you know, you're the guy. Um Why do we assume that simply because we have the message of salvation, quote unquote, that we also have the best approach to everything else in life, you know, that it's Uh like there are areas where the Bible doesn't really hit on and we can uh, we can pretend like it does because we now understand those concepts because we've learned from other cultures and try to say, well, this was actually speaking of that. But the truth of the matter is uh, there's a lot of cultures that understand things way better than a uh, Christian mm-hmm. culture does. And isn't the nature of, well, if you're coming at it from a Trinitarian perspective, which I do, the nature of God is this constant cycle and this wheel of giving and receiving. And so shouldn't even part of our gospel presentation be not just giving, but then also receiving from the culture that we're giving to what it is they have to offer. And, uh, You know, I think for far too long, Christians, we just kind of bulldoze our way into other cultures and say, you know, not only do we have this right, but we have everything else right as well. And you have nothing to teach us. But it's like, oh, my God, what a what a backwards black and white bland world it would be if that were the case. The truth is we have learned stuff from cultures and we just try to pretend we learned it from christianity but what if we actually incorporated that even into our practice of christianity that this is actually about yeah. a giving and a receiving it's a mutual exchange between um image bearers of the divine and uh mm. anyways no that was good i really like that man good stuff yeah oh, it's mm.
1: beautiful beautiful mm. Yeah. yeah i like um pete rollins does this with his um well, he do- i don't think he does it anymore but he used to take people out on the streets in northern ireland um to evangelize mm. um and evangelism for pete rollins looked very different and and the the goal was and and the rules were that you had to go out in the streets and you had to find other people and ask them what they thought of christianity and you couldn't share your beliefs Mm. you couldn't share at any point your beliefs um you were just asking what do you think about christianity and why Mm. um and you were not evangelizing other people this night of evangelism was to go out there and evangelize yourself beautiful you were learning about what is my faith looking like to other people Mm. where do i need to change what do i need to evaluate where where are we going wrong um and i'm not saying that that's the only way you can evangelize or blah 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 blah, but i just think it's a beautiful concept of of self-reflection of realizing that other people have something to teach us and that um, we don't have it all down. yeah um, but again when you're black and white and your authority is uh, you know God who has put an authority in your church, called a pastor and he's got an authoritative book called the Bible and mm. you know that's the rules and that's everything. well then it doesn't matter that the Bible says that pie is three. Mm. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that's what the Bible says. It yeah. doesn't matter that the Bible says uh, ants work alone. <laughs> Well, the Bible says it. I don't care what, you know, biologists have come to the conclusion of that ants work as massive groups, you know? Right, <laughs> we right. all know that. Or that not a word and, was mentioned you know, about washing
0: your hands, which could have saved us, you know, untold numbers of
1: lives over the Gosh, years. It's yeah, like- <laughs> I mean, a hundred years ago, we still hadn't figured that right, out, you know? Right. And yet like... It's so weird that the Bible hadn't figured it out. You know, yeah. we, we expect that you know Jesus would have known the world was round, and that you know the you know people should wash their hands when mm. giving birth. And yeah, you know, I mean, but, but it is Jesus funny how then we, we can return and ago. find it. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. We can then once we know it, though, yeah. we can yeah, then absolutely. look back, back and find now. it. Yeah, yeah. He sits upon the circle of the earth. Uh, the Jews wash their <laughs> hands. So, yeah, you know. <laughs> oh, anyways,
1: man, this is this has it's been perfect. a
0: fantastic perfect. conversation, Phil. I've really, really, really enjoyed it
1: um thanks for having oh, me
0: man it was an honor really really uh i don't get to have these kinds of conversations uh nearly often enough and uh i really appreciate it really appreciate you taking the time to be with us tonight and of course and i yeah. absolutely want to do it again because um, you yeah. know uh yours your podcast typically goes something like two to three hours right so uh oh yeah 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 so and we still could have gone oh, i'm gonna have you back at some point so. oh yeah we could definitely go longer man <laughs> i guess this is probably a good time to wrap it up for us but man is there anything anything you want to say in closing or any um just any words of encouragement or anything you want to give
1: yeah i think i guess i just want to like you know let people out there i i, I don't know the ins and outs of all your audience i can kind of perceive based on like you know what i'm seeing you do and things like that i can kind of guess who's following you but um you know for those that are going through some processes of deconstruction, whatever that looks like, like you are so, so, so far from alone. You know, Mm. I know you might be in a couple of Facebook groups of a few thousand people, but you know, in America alone, there are 2,700 people leaving the church every day. Mm. It's over, it's over 3 million a year leaving in the church. And that's not moving from one church to another. That's, that's being done with the church. Mm. Um, It's the fastest growing spiritual movement in the in the in the west is the american duns um they they are growing faster than any other spiritual movement and what's interesting is 78% of them still hold on to some form of spirituality so you're talking 2000 people a day holding on to spirituality of some sort trying to grapple with some sort of faith some sort of spirituality that feel utterly alone and so i just i guess i'm trying to encourage you that you're not you will find your tribe you will find your people um come and talk to me if you ever want to i'm most active on instagram but i'm on facebook or wherever else but yeah come yeah tell us, talk to me i'd tell love us to where chat
0: everybody could find you as well phil just
1: instagram's the best um i'm just phil drysdale d-r-y-s-d-a-l-e um that's definitely best i spend two three four hours sometimes a day talking to people on there um i love to try and help and just listen um i'm on facebook as well i think it's phil drysdale ministries which is a bit of a throwback um i don't know how many people would consider what i do in ministry um uh where else uh phildrysdale.com is my website you can find me on youtube you can watch my show i, I put out two podcasts a week about two to three hours long talking to different geniuses like jeff turner oh, um shucks. people that are uh psychotherapists looking at deconstruction and the grief deconstruction things like that i've talked to regular you know, schmucks like me who just are deconstructing and figuring it out. And so, um, you know, there's a good mix of people there. You can head up to my podcast. It's just called the Phil Drysdale show the deconstruction network as well, guys, if you're feeling alone, get on there. Even if you're the first person in your area, it's still quite new. Um, you'll be on the map for when the next person in your area jumps on and they'll they'll be able to send you a message. And so I would encourage you to check it out. And we're doing research on people that are deconstructing as well through the deconstruction network is entirely optional. But every few months we do a survey and we're trying to change the narrative about this group because it's a very misunderstood group all the articles out there on the web are all written by you know some journalists interviewing a few pastors who talk about people that are slipping away falling away people that never really believed all these kind of crazy mm. myths when when we look at the data people that deconstruct were the most passionate about their faith the most yeah. involved in their churches um you know yeah. they 34 uh, percent of deconstructed christians still attend church at least once a week isn't mm. that crazy mm. um and so you know the the narrative needs to change there so if you want to get involved in the research we're doing as well the deconstructionnetwork.com is a great place for that um and we're putting out data on that on my instagram on facebook on the on the website as well but yeah those are some of the things i can think of awesome (laughs) there's there's probably more but well you may be hesitant to plug it yourself but do you also have a
0: patreon we could direct people to if they want to support your work because it's definitely something worth supporting
1: Sure. I, I don't use Patreon itself, but uh, you can do so via phildrysdale.com, And and because everything I do is free, I don't have many perks to give, but I have a, a discussion uh, server, you know, where people can join and kind of have different conversations with different people, a bit of community there. And I do monthly kind of uh, Zoom calls uh, with the group. And so, you, yeah, you can go to phildrysdale.com and click on become a partner and um, support me mm-hmm. through that if you want to um, that makes a huge difference because yeah I do everything for free and this is my full time so beautiful um, hey as someone who does one. the same thing <laughs> I I
0: can't I can't say enough how much the support does mean when it comes in so please guys if you appreciate what Phil does yeah, please huge. you know check that out and support him I I plan on supporting you this year as well man because I really believe in what you're doing oh thank so. you yes well, well hey good and, to have you on our discussions and stuff as well so yeah i'll pop in now and again and yeah that'd be awesome <laughs> yeah. yeah well hey again thank you so much for coming on phil we really appreciate it and uh look forward to having you back again man all right thanks man thanks for having me all right yeah
1: Peace.